Good. We're going to look at the word before we go to the Lord in worship and prayer. Uh, if you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians 6. So for all the tardy people, they don't get the word today. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. We tricked them, didn't we? Ephesians 6, verse 10. You all there? Say yes. yes. Thank you. Finally, my brethren and sistren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. See him? Oh, maybe we can see him now. Nope, still can't see him. Can't see him with your physical eyes, can you? How do you, how do you see these spiritual forces? How do you see them? The word, the eyes of faith, right? Do we believe they're real? They're real. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore girded, uh, having, your, having girded your waist. Yeah, I'll, one more time. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about prayer and evangelism, and I'm going to give you a quick review of that sermon. Um, We looked at various texts. Uh, Matthew 9, Jesus said to the uh, disciples, He said, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, therefore pray, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors. So we're told specifically to pray for workers, meaning evangelistic workers, outreach workers. In Acts 1, Jesus told his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they needed power in order to fulfill the Great Commission. They needed power to fulfill the Great Commission. We can witness, but we will never see fruit unless the Holy Spirit is operating in us, through us, with us. Because only the Spirit of God can remove the veil that's in the hearts of the unsaved. Only the Spirit of God regenerates the soul. Only the Spirit of God woos and draws men to Jesus Christ. He uses his people. He uses the Word. But the Spirit must be working, or otherwise... The labor is in vain. Thirdly, we, we looked at Acts 4, where after the church was persecuted, they gathered together for prayer, and they prayed that God would grant them boldness to speak his word. Boldness to speak his word. Um, as I pointed out last week, <clears throat> one of the main problems that Christians have with evangelism isn't evangelism per se. It's not that the they don't really know what to say, except they're afraid to say it. I believe that if you are saved, then you know enough to share Christ. You don't need to give a dissertation on everything that's wrong with evolution. 
You don't need to answer every question about Islam and the Crusades. Okay? You don't have to have all these answers. When I'm witnessing to somebody and they ask me a question I don't know, you know what I say? I don't know. But here's what, you, here's what you'll experience when you share Christ with people. What you experience is they get off on a thousand rabbit trails. They get off on a thousand rabbit trails. You want to talk about Jesus, they want to talk about Jonah. You want to talk about Jesus, they want to talk about Noah. You want to talk about Jesus, they want to talk about Islam. You want to talk about Jesus, they want to talk about evolution. You want to talk about Jesus, they want to talk about their sister's uncle who was a priest who molested somebody. I mean, they will talk about anything but Jesus. So you're in a conversation with somebody who doesn't know Christ, and they're going off on rabbit trails. Guess what? Don't chase the rabbit. Because even if you catch the rabbit, you haven't caught the soul. Right? You hearing me? The goal is to draw men to Jesus Christ, not to win an argument. That's not the goal. It's, and it's okay to say, you know, I'm, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm not, I haven't reviewed my medieval history lately. When the man that was born blind got healed, he was interrogated by the Pharisees. Remember that in John 9? And they asked him all of these questions. And he didn't really know the, he didn't know where Jesus was from. and he, you know, he, didn't, he didn't know a lot of stuff. But you know what he did know? He said this, all I know is I was blind and now I see. That, that was his testimony. I was blind, but now I see. Were you blind? Can you see? then you have a testimony. Then you can witness. I was blind, but now I can see. I was a drug addict, but now I'm free. I was an alcoholic, but now I'm free. Whatever your story, Jesus touched your life. Jesus changed you. Jesus saved you. That's your testimony. This is really what impacts people probably more than anything, than all of our canned answers. Because the fact of the matter is, at the heart of the gospel, is that we, people, fallen people, sinners, can actually know a holy God. They can enter into a personal relationship with God. I mean, do you realize, we're so used to saying this that we don't realize how radical this is? We're just used to it. But do you know that there are many, 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 many people that already say they're Christians. There are churches full of people who don't have a relationship with God. And if you ask them, how's your relationship with God? They will look at you like, uh, what do you mean? Because that's not their Christianity. It's a ritual. It's a, tradi- it's a tradition. It may be, maybe it's even a creed. I'm not sure. But the point is, it's not a, re- a relationship. So not only are there the, the, the clearly, avowedly, uh, I'll use the word pagan with a small p, population that doesn't acknowledge Christ in any way, but then you have the people that would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or I go to church a couple times a month, or, or you know, some, something like that. But then you begin to inquire, and you find out that, in fact, they don't know the Lord. They know about him, but they don't know him. 
And as I've said many times in this pulpit, I've led more Christians to Christ than non-Christians, if you know what I mean. Many people that I've led to Christ were people that, when I asked them originally, are you a Christian, they said yes. But what they meant was, I was baptized. Or, I go to church. Or something of that. In other words, something religious. So they said, yeah, I'm Christian, because their religion is Christianity. But guess what? We're not preaching Christianity. We're preaching Christ. We're not preaching religion. We're preaching Jesus. Amen? So don't go out and, and, and tell people about the glories of Christianity because that is not glorious. Christianity has been a mess. And people use that against Christ. And you have to tell people, don't look at me, don't look at the church, look at Jesus. Get to know Jesus. If you can get somebody in the Word, if you can get somebody reading the Gospels, and looking at Jesus, well, you're on your way. They are on their way to getting saved. When you get them to look at Jesus. And when people criticize the church and the hypocrisy in the church, you know what? They have, they have an argument there. We are not called to defend Christianity. We're not called to defend the church we're called to declare Jesus Christ. The focus has to be on Jesus. Amen? We also saw that the church prayed for guidance. We, we looked at the story of Peter. When Peter was in prayer, he had a vision. Or my version says that he fell into a trance, and he, and he, and he saw the, the sheep come down with the different animals. And Peter really wasn't clear. But at the time he was in prayer, God was speaking over here to, to, to Cornelius, he sent a messenger to Peter, and Peter came, and he preached to the Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they got saved. And then he realized, oh, I get it. I get it. The unclean animal, the Gentile, I get it. So Peter was guided directly. I mean, it's an awesome story because there's, there's many stories like this. So here's Peter praying. God is dealing with Peter. But over here, God is dealing with this unsaved person, Right? And then he's, he's, God is working to bring the two together. So God works in, in our hearts. He works in, in, his, in his people to, to move them to share the gospel. Well, who do you share the gospel with? Well, well you can share the gospel with everybody. Yeah, let's share it with everybody, okay? No? No, okay? Yeah, all right, thank you. All right, Amy. You, you can lead the clapping today. But in fact... We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, right? We need to be led to people. And so um, it's, it's uncanny how if, if you are sincerely wanting to share the gospel with people and you're praying for opportunities, as we call them, that the Lord will lead you to people that he's dealing with. I mean, it's uncanny. It's actually supernatural. And it should be. Because the whole thing is Supernatural. So we need guidance from the Lord. Uh, we saw in Acts 13, we saw God appointing and sending out Saul and Barnabas. And, and Acts 13 was in a way a fulfillment of, of what Jesus said in, in 9. Pray the Lord to send workers. And then they were fasting and praying, worshiping the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to the church and said, send uh, Paul or Saul and Barnabas on this mission trip. 
Acts 16, we saw the story of the, the uh, Philippian jailer who got saved, right? Paul's in prison. What's he doing? He's contacting the Supreme Court, trying to get out. Nope. He's praying. He's singing hymns. He's worshiping God. The Lord intervenes with an earthquake. The jailer um, ends up repenting, receiving Christ, and his whole family gets saved. So many lessons from that story, one of which, if somebody needs an earthquake, God will give them an earthquake. Also, another lesson is, when things look bad for you, it might be good for the lost. Listen, Paul didn't want to be in prison, did he? Well, of course not. But Paul was, Paul was in prison because God in his providence was going to reach the jailer and his family. So you might be in a situation which, from your perspective, is like, oh, I don't want this to happen to me. I don't want this situation to happen to me, whatever it might be. And that situation may be God actually guiding you to someone who needs the gospel. So instead of complaining about the situation whether it's that flat tire or that car problem or, or this problem or that. Instead of complaining about that, maybe God is guiding your life in such a way that you're going to meet somebody that you can share the gospel with. You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But God intervenes in our lives so that he can intervene in the lives of the unsaved and bring them to Jesus Christ. Amen? So, a couple more observations, and then we're going to, we're going to pray. Um, a couple observations on Ephesians 6 that we can learn about prayer. One is that our prayer needs to be continual. Several times in this text, uh, we're, we're told to pray always. Verse 18, praying always. Not once a month at a prayer meeting. Not even once a week at church. It really says always. I think always means always. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean every second, but it means regularly, continually, often, frequently, right? Put in whatever word you want. Always. So we need to be praying always. Praying for the lost needs to be a, a regular feature of the Christian life. It needs to be something that's on our mind and on our heart and brings us to prayer. God often delays answering prayers. If you have known the Lord for any length of time, uh, you, you, will, you will learn that if you, are, if you continually pray, you will find that often the Lord answers your prayer much, much, much later than you had hoped. So you have to continually pray. We're told also to be vigilant, to be vigilant, praying always, verse 18, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So be watchful, clearly in this context, Paul is talking about spiritual warfare, because he warns them about the principalities and the powers, the, the, the forces of darkness that are opposed to the truth of the gospel. Um, the, the devil doesn't care if we go to church all day long, every day, as long as we keep it in church. 
He doesn't care. He does not care if we gather every day and read our Bibles and pray. As long as when we walk out that door, we don't open our mouths. He doesn't care. Because if we don't open our mouths, then people cannot be delivered from his kingdom into Christ's kingdom. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, if we really were in church every day, and if we're really in the word every day and really praying every day, we couldn't keep our mouth shut, could we? Of course not. Because you'd be overflowing with the word. You'd be overflowing with Jesus Christ, and you would open your mouth and share the gospel. My point is, is that we can get so busy doing Christian things that we forget about the lost world out there. We forget about uh, the mission, if you will, the great, what's called the Great Commission. Now, there's other things the church has to do, build up the body and all that. I understand that. But if we are keeping silent, then I think the devil's fine with things as usual. I don't think he has any problem with that. The warfare is real. And that explains things like the irrational fear that, that you will feel. And when I say irrational, there's no reason in most situations that you should be afraid to share the gospel. I mean, if you look at it logically, there's no reason. You know, there's not like you've got some guy there with, with the sword that's going to chop your head off if you say the word Jesus. That's not what's happening. So why the fear? It's irrational because there's spiritual warfare. It explains the distractions that so often come when trying to share the gospel with somebody. I've shared the gospel thousands of times in many, many different settings, and it is amazing to me so often when I'm ready to give an invitation to the lost how every baby in the room starts screaming. And I'm not exaggerating. Weird things happen. Power goes out. I mean, all kinds of bizarre things. Right then. Okay, right then. Well, how do you explain it? Well, there's spiritual warfare going on. Now, we can't see it, but it's real. It's happening, I believe it's happening even now. I believe the devil doesn't want you to hear what I'm saying. He doesn't want you to walk out of this building and share Christ with anybody. He doesn't want that. So he will, he will attempt for you not to hear this, not to receive this. And that's spiritual warfare. Jesus talks about the devil. What does he do when the, the word is sown? He comes, he steals the word out of the heart, right? Well, he can do it to believers too. You talk about evangelism, and all of a sudden everybody's calling you for marriage counseling. I joke not. You talk about evangelism, all of a sudden everybody in the church starts fighting. You talk about evangelism, all kinds of things start happening, and, and it's, it's being prompted by the enemy to get the church off the mission. But I promise the, the staff, the life group leaders, we're not going to get off mission. So if your house blows up tomorrow, sorry, we're still going to preach the gospel. <laughs> we're staying on mission. It is warm in here, isn't it? People are fanning themselves. People are fanning themselves. Uh, we're, we need to stay on mission. Okay? Now, can you imagine... You're, you're a basketball player. Isn't it March Madness at it done yet? Is it, almost, is it done? It's over? Okay. Imagine you're a football player. No. 
You can use basketball. It doesn't matter. No, I like football better. Your team finally makes it to the Super Bowl. Finally. I mean, this, this is, I mean, to go to the Super Bowl, this is it, right? You are the elite of the elite. And you, you, your team's in the Super Bowl. You go to the Super Bowl. And uh, you play oh, three and three quarters of the game. And it gets on the last minute of the game. And your team's got the ball. And they're marching down the field. And you only need a field goal to win the Super Bowl. And everybody on the bench is complaining about how hard the bench is. Everybody's complaining that they got the wrong flavor of Gatorade for the game. Is that going to happen? Everybody's complaining that it was kind of warm that day. They didn't have the air on in the dome. Now, is that going to happen? No, why? Because they got their head in the game. Their head is in the game. What matters is the game, right? What matters is the mission. And some of us need to get our head in the game. Don't look at the bench. Don't look at the Gatorade. Don't worry about the temperature. Get your head in the game. Get focused on the mission that the church is to be about. You see? And the devil wants you to look at anything and everything and get you unsettled about everything and anything that he can to get your mind off the mission. I can assure you, he will do this. He is determined. The devil's real, amen? Real. And you, you don't know how real until God starts using you to snatch people out of his kingdom. Then you're going to find out how real he is. You have to get your head in the game. Right? The Great Commission was given to the church, and Jesus said that we are to go and make disciples, teach them to observe all that he's commanded. Baptize them first, he said. All that he's commanded. And he said, Lo, I am with you always, or literally every day, to the ends of the ages. And I was meditating on that verse recently, and it dawned on me, you know, when Jesus said, I'm with you always, we like to take that little verse and then pull it out of context or put it on a plaque. You know what I mean? One of those comforting. Jesus is with me always. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? That's awesome. But what's the point in context? It's not, Jesus is with me always when I'm at Starbucks ignoring the lost people. Or Jesus is with me while I'm barbecuing in the backyard and ignoring my neighbor. Or Jesus is with me the point is, I'm with you so that you can fulfill the Great Commission. I'm with you when you are sharing the gospel. I'm with you when you're preaching. I'm with you when you're ministering. I'm with you when you are going. Not when you're staying. Now, of course, the Lord's with us always, right? right? We get that. He's everywhere. But in the context is... He's saying, I'm with you so that when you attempt to fulfill this mission, you will be successful because I am with you and I have all authority in heaven and earth. 
Okay. I'll do it myself, Amy. Come on. I have all authority in heaven and earth, and I who have all authority in heaven and earth, I, I am with you. When you're going. Wow, what a promise, amen? So we need to pray, and we need to pray continually. We need to pray vigilantly, which means we need to be watchful, discerning, beware that there's a spirit, real spiritual battle. We need to also pray with perseverance. This means that we do not give up until we get an answer. Um, uh, I've heard many, many, many stories about people uh, who prayed for lost relatives or lost friends for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and they finally came to Christ after all those years. And very often, let's be honest, we pray for somebody we witness, maybe we'll pray for them a couple weeks, and then boom, well, they didn't, they didn't get saved, so forget them. And that, that is a failure on our part to believe in the power of prayer, Right? So, um, we are to pray continually, and we are to persevere in prayer, even if we don't at first get an answer. God often delays, but a delay is not a denial. How long will we pray for those that we love? How long will we pray for revival in our church, revival in our community, revival in our nation, revival in our world? How long will we pray? Well, we should pray continually until we see an answer. That's how you pray. You pray until you get an answer. So we need to persevere in prayer. So I want to go to, I wanted like us to go to the Lord in prayer. Before we do that though, we're gonna have Justice, I believe, is gonna come up and do announcements. We're gonna take the offering. Then we're gonna head into a season of worship and prayer.